Welcome to Econ on the Go. In this episode, we're going to start our discussion of game theory, which is going to help us think about how firms compete with each other in the market. Game theory is the study of interdependent choices and outcomes and was first really developed and honed to help analyze thermonuclear war. After World War II, the major powers were concerned about what was going to happen now that we had nuclear weapons, and they wanted to understand how to play the game with each other so that we didn't end up blowing each other up. There are three conditions for a game to be analyzed by game theory. First, there must be two or more players. Second, they must deliberately choose their strategies. And three, the outcomes of the game must be dependent on those choices that they make, at least partially. So things like playing a slot machine at a casino is not a game. There's only you. You can't really consider the casino or the manufacturer of the game another player. You can deliberately choose your strategy about how hard to push the button or how fast to push the button or how many times to push the button in a row or how many coins to drop in. But the outcome does not depend on those strategies. And so it's not a game that we can analyze with game theory. When you want to analyze a business game, no one's going to tell you what the game is that you're playing. You have to figure out the game that you're playing. And in designing what that game looks like in the real world, there are five questions you need to answer. The first is, who are the players? Who are the other customers or competitors or suppliers or distributors that are making choices in the game that are going to affect the outcomes based on the choices you make? The second question you need to answer is, what do they want? What are their preferences? What are their objectives? We normally think it's profit maximization, but they may be trying to maximize market share or revenue growth or something else. So who are the players and what do they want? The third question is, what can they do? What are their options? What choices can they make? What tactics can they implement? Those are all the things that the player is trying to choose from when they're deciding how to play the game. So who are the players? What do they want? What can they do? The fourth question is, what do they know? What information do they have about how the game is being played and whether they understand what other people have done and choices they have made when it's their turn to play? So who are the players? What do they want? What can they do? What do they know? And the fifth question is, what do they get? What are their payoffs from playing the game? Now, the payoffs that they get from the game should be tied back to that second question of what do they want? So if their objective is to maximize market share, the payoffs, what they get, should be measured in market share. So those five key questions are the key to thinking strategically about any other company in the industries that you're working in. Who are the players? What do they want? What can they do? What do they know? And what do they get? What are their payoffs? Rational players is the assumption we make that we're facing rational players in the market. And this really assumes that there are deliberate choices made by the players with the aim of doing the best for themselves, given their objectives. So it doesn't mean that they're making choices that we would want them to make. And it doesn't mean that there is some objectively correct choice to make. It means given their objectives, they are making choices, trying to do the best they can to meet those objectives. There are two types of games we analyze using game theory, simultaneous move games and sequential move games. 
we're going to spend the rest of this episode talking about simultaneous move games, which are ones where players choose at the same time without knowing what the other player has chosen. A child's game example of this is rock, paper, scissors. It's no fun to play rock, paper, scissors with someone when they get to move first and you move second. Well, it's fun for you, but not fun for the other person. And so no one would choose to do that. Rock, paper, scissors, we both throw at the same time. And I don't know what you've thrown. You don't know what I've thrown when we make our choices. In the business context, this is useful for things like contract bidding, where we all have to submit our bids at the same time and no one knows what the other person has bid. Or for decisions where both players are of roughly the same size. There's no focal player in the market where everyone looks to and says, we're going to wait and see what that company does before making our choice. So big markets where you might have like soft drinks where Coke and Pepsi are both relatively big. No one naturally is going to move first. They're both going to try to move at the same time. We use payoff matrices to analyze simultaneous move games. In a payoff matrix, the rows are one player's strategies and the columns are the other player's strategies. And in each of the cells of that matrix, where the intersection of rows and columns are, are the payoffs for each of the players. And those payoffs, again, are according to each player's preferences. So if they're trying to maximize market share, then the payoffs for that player are market share. And if the payoffs for the other players are profits, then that second player's payoffs in the cells are profits. We always use a legend in the corner of the diagram or in the upper corner of the diagram to indicate whose payoffs are which in the cell. So if we use them with a comma in between or in the upper left and lower right or lower left and upper right, we always should have a legend so that it's easy to read the payoff matrix of whose payoffs are which. A dominant strategy is a concept in simultaneous move games and is one that is a strategy for a player that is better than all the others for any potential move by an opponent. So if you have potential choices of moving up or down, and if you move up, the best thing for me to do is to move left. And if you've moved down, the best thing for me to do is to move left in both cases, instead of going right, then left is a dominant strategy. It's always better for me to move left than to move right, regardless of what you do. That's a dominant strategy. And our assumption is that any player with a dominant strategy will play it. That's what it means. It's dominant. It's the best thing to do. And so you will play it. Prisoner's Dilemma is an example of a dominant strategy equilibrium. When we talked about Prisoner's Dilemma in class, the prisoners both had a dominant strategy to confess, to rat out their partner, and to tell the police that they were involved in the crime. Even though, collectively, both prisoners were better off if they kept quiet, They each had a dominant strategy to confess, regardless of what the other player did, confess or not confess. The prisoner's dilemma can be applied to business games such as pricing or advertising. Because if you don't drop your price, I want to drop my price. But if you drop your price, I also want to drop my price. And so regardless of what you do, I want to drop my price. And you're the same situation, so we kick off price wars, even though neither of us really wants to start a price war. And if you decide not to have a big advertising campaign, I do to try to take market share. But if you have a big advertising campaign, I also want to have a big advertising campaign to prevent you from gaining market share. So regardless of what your strategy is, I will invest in lots of advertising, even though both of us are going to end up advertising and there's going to be no shift in market share. We're just adding extra costs. Now, not every game is the prisoner's dilemma. 
For one thing, it has to be a simultaneous move game. If it's not a simultaneous move game, it can't be the prisoner's dilemma. And it also has to be the case that we have dominant strategies and that those dominant strategies lead us to play an outcome which is worse for us than if we were able to cooperate. Prisoner's Dilemma can also be solved by playing this game dynamically. And by solved, I mean corrected. We can get to the outcome where we are both better off, the collusion outcome, just by playing the game over and over and over and over again. A dominated strategy is a concept which is similar to the dominant strategy, but instead of being better than all of the other strategies, a dominated strategy is one that is worse than at least one other strategy. Which means when I'm thinking across all my strategies, if I have a strategy which is worse than at least one other, I would never play that. I would always play the other one that's better at least than that dominated strategy. And if I know that there are dominated strategies in a game, I can remove those from analysis of the game. I can cross those out and say that player will never play that dominated strategy and simplify the game. And if I keep finding dominated strategies, I can sequentially keep getting rid of dominated strategies by either player until I get to an equilibrium in in the game. So with dominant strategies, players always play the dominant strategy. With dominated strategies, we assume that the players will never play those dominated strategies and keep eliminating dominated strategies, keep searching for more dominated strategies until we solve the game. Now, not every game has a dominant and a dominated strategy. In that case, we want to use the Nash Equilibrium. This was named after John Nash, who subsequently won the Nobel Prize. And his insight was that every player is going to play a best response to the other player's choices. So if every player is playing a best response to what the other player is doing, they have no incentive to switch their choice and play something else, which means we're all stable, therefore in equilibrium. We identify the Nash equilibrium by going cell by cell through our payoff matrix and identifying for every column what is the best response in the rows for the player in the rows. And then we go for every row, what's the best response in the column for the player with the strategies in the columns. And then we look through all the cells and wherever there's a cell where both players' choices have been marked as a best response, that's a Nash equilibrium. Now, dominant strategies are Nash equilibria, but not all Nash equilibria are dominant strategies. And in particular, we can always use the Nash equilibrium's concept instead of seeking out dominant strategies or seeking to eliminate dominated strategies. Using the Nash equilibrium concept will always get to the equilibrium of the game. The final thing about simultaneous move games is that we can sometimes have multiple equilibria. And that occurs when there are at least two cells in our game where there are Nash equilibrium. These usually are games which involve coordination among the players or a splitting of the market between the players. So, for example, if we're deciding whether to operate in the U.S. or in China and you're deciding whether to operate in the U.S. or China, it would not be a good choice for both of us to go into both countries and really compete hard with each other. It'd be better for one of us to operate in the U.S. and one of us to operate in China. And that's a splitting game. Coordination would be something where I'm producing hardware, you're producing software, and it would be better for both of us if we both produced hardware or software together. And so how do we coordinate so that one of us isn't left without a product and the other has a product which can't be sold because the other didn't produce? That's our discussion of simultaneous move games. We both choose at the same time. And it's the first way of implementing the game theory concepts. Remember, the five questions for designing games are the key. Who are the players? 
What do they want? What can they do? What do they know? And what do they get? In the next episode, we're going to finish our discussion of game theory by talking about sequential games. 